Isaiah 40, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And from Matthew 9. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel uh, of the kingdom uh, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. This is the word of the Lord. We come almost to the end of our study of Colossians. Those of you joining us for the first time, uh, we've been studying this wonderful little letter over the summer. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul was writing to a church that apparently uh, he had not planted and he had not visited. Uh, it seems to have been a sort of grandchild of his, a child of the Ephesian church. And it had been planted by a man named Epaphras, who is with Paul as Paul is writing. Paul is in prison, and it's key whenever you read this letter to remember that. He is writing from prison. Epaphras, we know from the end of the little letter, Philemon, uh, was at one time a fellow prisoner with Paul. And so we don't know whether Epaphras was just visiting him now or whether he was already a fellow prisoner. But he was the church planter, and he's the one who's brought Paul a report. And Paul has begun by thanking God for the good things there, but then warning them, because Epaphras has told him that teachers have come in who've said that the gospel itself is not enough, that Jesus, wonderful as he is, is insufficient. And we're not gonna go back and recap, but there were three particular areas where they were saying, you really need to press on in these areas. And they really touched on all three parts of contemporary American evangelicalism. There was the group that said, you need to know more, you need special knowledge. And that touches on us uh, reform types who are always thinking that we've got all the good theology and these poor benighted people over here, they may know the Lord, but my goodness, they don't know what we know. Uh, there was also the group that said, you need rules by which to live. You need more stuff, more very much like the Pharisees. And they were adding to the scripture and they were very much like the pietistic parts of evangelicalism in which many of us were, were raised, where you have all sorts of extra rules that are put on your behavior and your spirituality is judged by that whether you keep that. And there was also the group that said, you've got to have visions, you've got to go on and have a greater 
spiritual experiences very much as charismatics do. So whatever group you come from, whatever group you're in, Paul is saying here, and the thrust of the entire letter, is that Jesus Christ is preeminent in all of creation. He's the firstborn of creation, he says, and in him all things hold together. And he is the, the preeminent one in the new creation, the church. He's the firstborn from the dead. And in him, once again, the whole church holds together. So the preeminence of Christ is the great theme. And we come now to Paul's uh, farewells. And it's easy when we come to these points in Paul's letters to think, okay, I've got the good stuff. And I'm going to say this to you, but I'm going to tell you as I year by year read through the scriptures, read through the scriptures, when I hit this part of Paul's letters, I tend to go into fast gear. It's like when I hit portions of Leviticus and I think, oh good, I can get through this fast, get ahead of my Bible through the year plan, because I'm not going to concentrate on any of this stuff, you know, as though it were not important. And I want to suggest today that when we do that, we risk missing crucial lessons. And I want to show why. So with that as background, we come to chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. I'm going to read to the end of the chapter, but we may well go back one more time next week to look thematically at one other thing. Tychicus, isn't that a wonderful name? Uh, thank you, Lord, that my parents did not <laughs> name me Tychicus. Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you. They will tell you of everything that's taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concern, concerning whom you've received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision, that means the only fellow Jews, among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I don't know about you, but I will confess that often as I read and teach, study, and deeply appreciate Paul's writings, and the fact that he was such an absolutely transformative figure, really the key, even more than Peter, the key transformative person in that first generation of apostles, the first 
great missionary after our Lord Jesus himself, and one who really began to forge a far deeper understanding of the meaning of the atonement and the freedom that we have in Christ. All of these glorious things that I so treasure and value. I never tend to think of Paul as somebody I'd really enjoy having lunch with, you know? And I think it's because he was such a debater and so strong on everything, kind of everything he was passionate about. It would kind of, sorry, John, if you ever listen to this, but it's kind of like having lunch with John Piper, with someone who's, you know, extremely bright and passionate for the gospel, but passionate about everything when you just like, can we just, you know, lay back here a little bit and maybe talk about sports for a minute, <laughs> talk about something else. So I get this idea that Paul was so intense that it was necessary that this guy be that Marine that takes the gospel out into the most dangerous places and plants churches. But the reality is I know from my reading of scripture that that is an inaccurate view of Paul. Just this morning in my own morning prayers at home, I was reading in my epistle, I'm I'm sorry, in my New Testament reading from Acts 20. And in Acts 20, we have that beautiful scene, Paul is completing his final missionary journey. He's in a hurry to get back to Jerusalem before Passover. He wants to make it there in time to celebrate the Passover. And so as he's passing by, The church at Ephesus is so precious to him, he wants to see the elders, but he doesn't want to take the time to go up to Ephesus. So he sends for them and meets them in Miletus, and they come down to be with him. And we have that beautiful scene where he bids them farewell and talks about the ministry that God gave him among them and pours out his heart, and he finishes by praying for them and then saying that those of you among whom I've lived and and taught and shared life, you will never see my face again. And we read that they wept and embraced and were brokenhearted because they loved this man so much. And when we just look at the kinds of verses that we've read, we see that Paul was not ever about Paul. He was always all about everybody else. And so there are four things that I would note, and don't get nervous if the first one takes a little longer. Don't start multiplying it by four and thinking good grief will be here forever. Because I really, one is where I want to bear down, I think, and then the others will go quickly from that. Uh, but the first thing is, again, Paul is in prison. He ends by saying, remember my chains. And we'll see why he says that. But here's a guy who's writing from prison. And yet, he's naming. This text is 12 verses. And he speaks of 11 other people. He names 11 other people in these 12 verses. And he's homing in. He doesn't generally say, this is what I want to see happen in the church. This is what I want to see happen. He is speaking to people whom he knows and loves and for whom he prays. And 
agonizes, even as he's in prison. How often do we say, I wish that I were in a position where I could really serve the Lord? If only I weren't so consumed with the age of my children or uh, the nature of my work or the struggles that I have or the mistakes I've made, the baggage I carry. I didn't have the best family. I, didn't, I don't have the, the, the greatest knowledge of Scripture, whatever, all of the excuses that we make. And not just Christians. I mean, people live in this place. If only, I, I, I think it used to be that my favorite Woody Allen line was, I'm not afraid of dying. I just don't want to be there when it happens. But I, I heard him in an interview, not, not terribly long ago, in which the interviewer said, as you look back on your life, is there anything that you wish you could change? He said, really, only one thing. I wish that I'd been born someone else. And, you know, to hear a lot of people talk about their hopes and dreams, but all of the reasons why they'll never be able to achieve them. It rather sounds as though they're wishing that they had somebody else's life. You and I have been given the only lives we will ever have. And you may say, this is just fine, but you're talking about the Apostle Paul. I'm not the Apostle Paul. Well, God doesn't want you to be the Apostle Paul. He didn't give you Paul's gifts nor Paul's life experience. He didn't put you where he put Paul. God wants you to be no one but exactly who you are, consecrated to him. Your life experience with all of its brokenness from which he's rescued you. Your unique set of gifts, your family background, all of the stuff that you think is holding you back. That's the very stuff that God wants to mold and shape you into an absolutely and utterly unique person at this moment in human history for his honor and for his glory. And he's put you right where he has put you so that you'll seek to be faithful to him right there. Paul was in prison. We saw last week that he said, pray that a door may be opened to me. And I'm thinking, yeah, a door out of this prison. He says, no, that a door may be opened to me for witness. Let this place where I am be the occasion for me to bring glory to God and good to the people around me, my jailers and my fellow prisoners. It reminded me, forgive me, I was uh, maybe Corman, but I was with the Marines long enough that I heard a lot of their uh, uh, stories and stuff. And one of my favorite is uh, uh, the old story about Chesty Puller in the Korean War when he was totally surrounded uh, uh, on the Korean Peninsula. Um, he is reputed to have said, I won't say what he said first, the first part, it's not church talk. But then he said, poor, poor guys, we'll say guys, poor guys, they've got us right where we want them. Now we can shoot in every direction. <laughs> that was Paul. That was Paul. Paul looked at whatever the situation was, and he said, okay, okay, the enemy has us right where we want him. Because right here in this Roman prison, I can reach people whom I could never reach if I were free today. 
you are able to reach in your home, your neighborhood, your place of work. You are able to live for Christ in the presence of people whom no one else can reach. That's why he's got you there. And that's the first point I want to make. Paul, even in prison, stayed focused on other people. I uh, lost one of my accountability brothers uh, uh, a couple of months back. You know, a lot of you knew him or you'd heard him preach. For over 30 years now, uh, four of us went on retreat a few times a year, kept up with each other, prayed for each other, asked each other the hard questions. Uh, Harry Reeder of Briarwood was one of them, and Harry went uh, to be with the Lord a few months ago. But um, over those years, we would travel, we would do ministry, we would stay on each other, stay with each other. We knew that 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 person or those guys are the ones who are both going to comfort me when I see how broken I am and are going to break me down when I forget it. I mean, do you have people in your life whom you are walking with on this journey? Paul is talking here to people who are like that with him. Are you deeply connected to a few other people in your life and in your ministry? You and I need that because I'm not the body of Christ. You're not the body of Christ. We're members of the body. We are only the body of Christ when we are together. And so where are your deep connections beyond church, your deep, accountable relationships with a few other believers where you're walking this out and praying for each other and saying, as we'll see in a moment, Paul, secondly, he wasn't just content that people profess faith in Christ. He would not have been... Boy, I, can you imagine... What Paul, how Paul would have responded to an American Christian who asked to see him and said, I'm not having my needs met. I mean, can you even imagine? You, you, you have food and clothing and you're, you know, you seem compos mentis and you've got, uh, you know, you've got freedom. What, what, what exactly what needs aren't being met? We are so constantly being sold exponentially since the development of the TV. I'm the first generation of insufferable brats who grew up in front of television having stuff sold to us, being told that life was all about being as happy as Buffalo Bob told us it was going to be, you know? And then as... Uh, one author said, he said that when we found out life wasn't the way Buffalo Bob said it was going to be, we threw a decade-long temper tantrum called the 1960s. <laughs> and it, it's just this idea that's permeated the church that, well, you know, is that a place that's going to meet my needs? Is it grow up? We live... You read these same things that I do, but basically now, 
it said, and this is no insult to those of you who are young here and really following Christ and growing up, but in the culture generally, adolescence now goes to 30. To 30. I mean, 100 years ago, 16 and 17-year-olds were captaining ships. They were serving it with battlefield commissions in the Civil War. Of course, they only lived to 40. Maybe that accelerated it. But, you know, but I'm just saying, Paul's second point is he's not satisfied that they're just professing faith. He says, I want you mature. Where does he say that? Look at verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. The Lord wants us all, including old 75-year-olds like me, to grow up. That's what it means to be mature. So it's not only old people who should be asking, what does it look like to end well? But you're really wise if you start asking that as a young person. If you say, you know, I don't yet know all the things that are going to happen to me in the future, and I know that much of my life... It's wisdom is going to have more to do with how I respond to stuff that happens than with anything I can control. But where do I think God is taking me? What does this trajectory look like? What would it look like to end well? Do you ever ask yourself that? That's the key question. What is maturity? What will it be at last to stand before the master and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. And that's what we should be longing for ourselves and for those whom we love, not satisfied just to see the world's success. That's great if it's matched by a growing spiritual maturity. So are we helping each other grow up in Christ? That's what the Refresh Conference is about. That's what our equipped classes are about. It's all about trying to help each other go deep so that we might grow up in Christ. And then having shown that even in prison, he's focused on others and focused on their maturity, then he turns beautifully to remembering the mission of God. He is focused. I tell you, I know myself, if I were in prison, my number one deal daily would be how do I get out of here? How do I get back to the people? Paul is focused on the mission of the church. How do we know that? Look down at 17. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. And again, without belaboring it, I hope. Do you know what ministry the Lord has given you? Do you have a sense of the gifts that God's given you? You may just be, you may not have, ever intended it, but you may be that person that when your neighbors are struggling, something hard happens, you're the one that gets the call because they've seen in you an openness to the broken heart, a, a desire to speak into hurt and pain. Or you may be the one that your neighbor calls when the gutter falls off and they don't know how to put it back up because they know that you're somebody who cares enough about them to go. God has gifted each of us in so many different ways. 
not all teachers, not all evangelists, not all prayer warriors, but he's called every one of us to find what those unique gifts are and then to begin to just give them away to those whom he has entrusted to us. So he says, tell Archippus, keep pursuing the ministry God's given. Not, Paul doesn't say, see that he fulfills my ministry, see that he fulfills his. Do you know what your ministry is? Is it taking shape in your life? Do you know yourself? Are you beginning to know who you are? And what passions and desires the Lord has placed within you so that you might serve? And then finally, as Paul always does, he comes home at the end to this focus on God's grace. It's always of the Lord. I mean, if anybody had a right, humanly speaking, to say, I'm not too sure about grace anymore, I, humanly speaking, Paul should have been saying, you know, I'm not sure about this grace thing anymore because no one has ever followed the Lord with greater passion and obedience than I have, and look where it got me. And Paul says, grace to you. All of this is God's work. It's all his grace. It's easy to see when we're holding that little baby whom we God's just given us. And we're, we're thinking this child's going to grow up to be, you know, everything that I hope and dream this child will be. And uh, never rebel, never turn away, never be difficult. You know, it's just easy to say, God's grace, look at this. But when that child's in a far country, when that child doesn't want to speak to you, when that child is perhaps lying broken by life, Can we then say, bless the Lord, God's grace. I don't, I don't know how he's going to work this out, but he has promised to those who are his that at the end of the day, maybe, not, maybe I won't live to see it, but he has promised that all things will work together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. And so I'm going to hold fast to that. I'm going to trust him in this thing that I can't see. It is God's grace, and I've known and tasted enough of God's grace throughout my life to trust him with the rest of it that I can't yet see. So Paul says, grace to you. And then, so they don't think he's just talking religion. He says, remember my chains. <laughs> remember who's talking to you. Remember who's commending you to the grace of God. Someone in a Roman prison, someone who, as we know, would be taken out and have his head cut off on the Ostian way for the gospel. And I've said it before, I've got to say it again, it's just my favorite from that moment of Paul's, I think it was T.R. Glover, the, one of the great commentators on the New Testament. He said when Paul was taken out on the Ostian way with his head cut off, any objective onlooker would have thought, poor guy, what a loser. You know, he came to Rome, thought he was going to turn things upside down, 
and here he is, nobody will ever remember him, and Nero still sits on the throne of Rome. And then Glover said, but today we name our sons Paul and our dogs Nero. <laughs> Even history has proven out. Brothers and sisters, live from and for the grace of God. And if you pray for me, pray that I, whatever I'm going through, will think more of you than I do of myself. That I will long for and labor for your maturity. That we will constantly call each other to the mission entrusted to us and that we'll remember that it's all of God's grace. And I'll seek to remember to pray that for you. Would you stand? Father, thank you so much for the apostle and for such a powerful picture of a man consumed by love because he's been filled to overflowing by your grace. And so may we, in the places where we live, realizing that we are as precious to you as was the Apostle Paul, and we are as important in your fulfilling your ministry as was the Apostle Paul, because we, too, are members of Jesus Christ, who loved us and made us his own. Amen. Amen.